And welcome to yet again another rousing round of the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Ah! Ah! Oh wow, that was really rousing. <laughs> hey, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And welcome once again. Uh, here we are doing our... And I'm Delirious. Oh. <laughs> well, hello Delirious. Welcome uh, to the podcast and welcome to our listeners. Yeah, it's uh, almost getting about that time where it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So, we hope you're holiday- Without any of the pesky snow, huh? Yeah, uh, well. Uh, it's a green Christmas in Michigan so far, but, uh, yeah, you know, you can't be sure. The north northeast got hit, so. Ah, uh, the, the weather in Michigan is as trustworthy as a tavern wench. It, it mm. just... Don't, Pickle. Yeah, you do not know how things are going to go. Uh, it, it could be, uh, you know, terrific, could be a disaster. Yeah, could be in the middle of February, and we're in the fifties. Yeah, it's happened. I I have lived through both extremes. I I have seen the best of Michigan winners and the worst of Michigan winners. Ah, it was the best of winners. It was the worst of winners. Now in the winter of our discontent. Yeah, and we're coming at you with another podcast, kind of a timely one. Uh, we were going to cover science fiction, and yeah, we are and, actually and, still. Yeah, I mean it. It's still in the ballpark. Not not to flutter the kimono too much Uh, but we're going to fulfill the science fiction intention but with something a little more immediately pressing and appropriate yeah if we had our act together we probably would have uh, coincided the three-parter maybe cut it short or pushed it ahead and did the science fiction before this one because there's been a game release so but we'll talk about that in a minute yeah. Uh, we're just going to go over briefly. Uh, we got a call in, and we're, then we're going to get right into the show itself and have a discussion about the topic, kick it around until it's whimpering and bleeding, and then move on. Because you would expect no less from... <laughs> expect no less from the podcast that just might have pickpocketed you at that last tavern. Oh, man, I could have <laughs> swore I had those two gems. Oh. All right. Well, fine. Yeah. Well, that's what you get for drinking in town, swiving away all your pay, uh, <laughs> uh, hanging out in taverns with untrustworthy podcasts. <laughs> that's exactly it. Sorry, right. well, we have a call in from Jason, so Jason, take it away. Hey guys, Jason here. Really enjoyed part three of your series, wrapping up with the Mega Dungeons. Really love hearing your reminiscing and your thoughts. And looking forward to you moving on to the sci-fi stuff, but also to when you do return to these classic modules. So, talk to you again soon. Take care. And welcome back. So, thanks a lot, Jason, for that. Uh, Yeah, that is a good thing that we like to hear is you enjoyed our little ramble. Right? Maybe a little too long-winded ramble on... Oh, Mega Dungeons was a fun one. But, uh, you know, I I think as a trilogy, you know, it was a nice examination of origin level features you know things that contributed to what we expect from a game of D&D uh, how did it get to be like this i i was pretty happy to uh, as for the science fiction uh you know it's really good to get that change of pace in uh but for classic modules yeah, there's some of that on the future menu, too. Uh, we've got some things to pick up where we left off. Because, uh, you know, with our reduced schedule uh, as of this year, uh, the 
pace with which we were able to work our way through some of the classic modules got dimmed. Yeah. You know, and, and we're going to have a lot of neat topics crop up that just seemed like much better ideas than, you know, falling back on uh, stuff that, hey, we love it. But, you know, some of the more timely events of 2020 in terms of, uh, you know, game releases and things like that just seem to cry out for different topics. Yeah. And we're going to be covering more from Call of Cthulhu. Uh, oh, yeah. RuneQuest, we've been looking at some of the new releases from that, which have been some really good stuff, as well as, um, well, hey, uh, just we're going to do it tonight, and uh, right now, as a matter of fact, as well as looking at things from Traveler, the new uh, second edition from Mongoose, uh, the yeah. starter set will be hopefully making its way out through the way through the mail here. RuneQuest with uh, Red, the Red Book of Magic. Hmm, mm. that sounds really Sounds ominous. Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially given RuneQuest's, you know, primitive, uh, you know, magic. Uh, it's Bronze Age era. Oh, yeah. Well, the Red Book of Magic would be the Imperial or Lunar Sorcery. Yeah. The Red Moon God, the Red College of Sorcery. Anyway. Uh, and something about that in Red Wizards of Thay. Just never good, is it? <laughs> Red's just not the color of, of friendly people. No, perhaps not. Uh. But yeah, uh, thanks a lot, Jason, and uh, hopefully you'll stick around for some of the new stuff as we cover, we're delving into some of these games that have come into a new age, but have their, well, their roots literally in the dawn of role-playing. Um, yeah, that's literally our meat and potatoes. It's our favorite stuff, is to see the evolving role in the world that some of these once classic games now have. Uh, you know, seeing them prosper in this era uh, as much as they did, if not more, considerably more so than they did back in uh, the 1980s uh, and early 90s. Man, I, it's an enormous pleasure. It, it is. Huge happy vibe. Like, yeah! Um, so tonight, uh, we're going to cover Cyberpunk. Now... I know everybody's out there groaning, oh, I don't want to hear another rabid review about Cyberpunk 2077. Hey, and you're in luck, because we're going to just briefly talk about the release of the computer game, whether you hate it, you love it, or yeah, that, you're just indifferent to it. The thing is, it's out there, and also what has come out is Cyberpunk Red. And we're going to talk about the Cyberpunk role-playing game where this whole thing grew out of. Now, all the bugs, the glitches, and the controversy aside... Keanu Reeves has lended his uh, talents to this. And, you know, again, whatever you think about that, I think that's very exciting. He plays an iconic character that I've had to explain to people. He plays Johnny Silverhand. In the very first itineration of the game, to get you into it, they gave you sample characters in that big back black box set of Cyberpunk 20, or Cyberpunk 2013 that it was set in. <laughs> they gave you seven characters to start out with. Santiago the Nomad, uh, Morgan, uh, Rachel the Solo, and Johnny Silver. And they're saving their network girlfriend who had been taken to the evil Arasaka Black Fortress in Night City. And you had to rescue her. And So that was the scenario. Johnny Silverhand, the perennial rocker boy. And boy, let's just dive right into it. Cyberpunk 2013, or is it just known as originally as Cyberpunk? We called it Cyberpunk 2013, but... You'll understand that later. It was a uh, 
black and white set in a big old black box uh, used the system that they would later term to be interlock. And it was written by Mike Pondsmith, one of the premier designers of that era. Uh, a very widely read fellow, and although some people uh, dislike him or like him based on his reading habits, I found that uh, his reading list alone of what made Cyberpunk Cyberpunk, beyond just the Mere Shades uh, trilogy uh, by Bruce Sterling and Neuromancer, his look at food production, information, and uh, job markets, the way that they would increase <laughs> in, in making the game, was eye-opening to say the least. But let's talk about that very first box set. So in it, uh, you were provided with the basics of the game, which was uh, you had a stat rated from 1 to 10 in nine different stats, including one which was called, strangely enough, cool, which was keeping your head during a firefight. Yeah. Or in another yeah. high-pressure situation. Yeah, it, it could not... have been like, you know, American Psycho. Disarming a bomb. You know, you got the you got the steady hand to do this. Maybe not. <laughs> this is going to be really rough. All right. I need my favorite turtleneck and a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> this so could it, end horribly, but I'm going out comfortable and slightly tipsy. So. Possibly the only role-playing game that could replicate American Psycho is Cyberpunk with its corporate character class. Oh, yes. He didn't have a very high cool, did he, when somebody showed up with a better business card and a better press suit? None. <laughs> None. <laughs> and also low empathy. That was another big thing. Empathy was a characteristic in that. Because empathy was the measure of how much you had in your humanity to stick cyberware. So, you know, <clears throat> Morgan Blackhand, the archetypical solo, starts with a nine empathy. He was a bright-eyed, idealistic young man who joined the military early on in his life. And ended up with a humanity score of one. Yeah. Because he had so much cyberware. He's not happy anymore. No more <laughs> idealism. That little sparkle's gone from his eye. Yes, because it's replaced with a better one. And that's cyberpunk to a T right there. You just cram as much metal into your body as you could to get that edge. Because edge was everything. But cyberpunk wasn't just about edge. It was about style. Looking good while doing it. Oh, fair enough. Uh, there wasn't a, at the time, uh, an implied, uh, you know, style to cyberpunk that uh, it it befit a a sub society of rebels to have a uniquely hyper cool appearance. Uh, that you know these were not just duffers. All right. Uh, yeah. It's not the... <laughs> what do you mean Lederhosen went out of style? You know, just, no, <laughs> no, no. Uh, everybody's Matrix cool all the time. Uh, and this predates, of course, the Matrix. Uh, and if you think the Wachowskis were not paying any attention in the era of cyberpunk, you are woefully misinformed. Yeah. Uh, um... You know, what do you think the basis for much of this was? <laughs> now, we're going to talk a little bit about it, but... Uh, about the cyberpunk genre in absentia of the game. But I think that right now, just to establish that initial care, uh, when that box came out, it was a game changer, literally. I mean, it. Now, you were what playing, year was that? That was 88. Mm. 88 or so. 
And it stayed out for a couple of years, and then they came out with 2020, which was a little bit better put together and uh, more overall edgy look. And also had, uh, I believe in the 2013 version, the cell phones that they had were these huge clunky walkie-talkie things. <laughs> and they kind of tried to defend it by like, hey, you know, it's 2013. It's not that far off. But, you know, yeah, it's 2013. Don't you think they might have done some stuff? To make it a little more portable. Well, now, you know, and, and of course, we didn't know what the internet was going to be like. There were, there were some visions. Well, not in 88, we didn't. Uh, look, you know. Yeah, well, was, there were some visionaries from like colleges, about, campuses, and uh, uh, think tanks that had some ideas where this was going to go. But it, for the time, they were spot on for what it was going to be at that time. But, well, and not everybody has a Jules Verne-like right. uh, like. You know, and look, I mean, there's plenty that Jules Verne got wrong. Well, okay. that's one of yeah. the premier problems of cyberpunk in and of itself is that after a while, you kind of look forward and say, oh, boy, we were sure silly to believe it would be like that. Yeah. Well, Traveler uh, we... had it right in the sense that, like, they placed it centuries into the future. Centuries and centuries. And there had been many falls you know, and Not like uh, leaps. in the year 2035, you know, uh, and look, I, I get that when you were writing something in 1985, 50 years to a 22-year-old writing at, uh, you know, part-time in his college and then working with, like, a publishing house and, you know, trying to get a game up and running. That 22-year-old or 23-year-old thought, oh, man, 50 years into the future, amazing things will happen. Uh, and as it turns out, not so much. Mm. Uh, you know, here we yeah. are all that time later, and 35 years go by, uh, and, well, I mean, not quite as impressive in some respects as one might have hoped, because I don't have my flying car. I would have settled for a jetpack, but I'm, I'm still bitter about that. Well, sure, and I think that uh, the big thing to remember about Cyberpunk is, is that they were looking forward, but they weren't trying to be prophetic. There were certain things that ended up being almost too scarily prophetic for oh, comfort. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of another... That had less top... to do with the science, per se, and more to do with the... Uh, Cynicism. The yeah, the cynical view of... you know, A very 1980s cynical view of how the world would pan out uh, in, in terms of, uh, like, the dynamics of power in the future. And... You know, well, woe betide ye. Uh, apparently, they were not quite cynical enough. Um, <laughs> yeah. In a few cases. And also, they probably had room to be just even a little more cynical, and they would not have been wrong. So, <laughs> there were three tenets that Cyberpunk, in the original version, lived by, which was style over substance, attitude is everything, and take it to the edge. And then the fourth one, which was break all the rules. <laughs> so... To help you play in this dystopic future, which was heavily influenced by, of course, we've covered this many times before, Neuromancer William S. Gibson, but also a nod to When Gravity Fails by George R. R. Martin, and one of my personal favorites, Walter John Williams' Hardwired. Yeah, actually, that is a dual personal favorite. I yeah, mean, I uh, love Hardwired. Yeah, Williams' Hardwired uh, is just a masterpiece of a book. Uh, that came by surprise because Walter John Williams uh, frequently did not you know, like make that top list of famous names. He is 
kind of the forgotten cousin in many respects. The guy gets none of the credit that he deserves for being a brilliant futurist and a terrific writer. Uh, but there he was alongside those great masters of yore, and some of his writings stand the test of time as arguably even better than... Yeah, more we're... legible, more approachable, uh, and yet, you know, entertaining. But in Hardwired, he nails the essence of cyberpunk. And Pulp, and I would argue that he's more like Hemingway than Faulkner or Joyce, who yeah. are uh, Sterling and Gibbons, Gibson, respectively. Yeah, Bruce Sterling and uh, William S. Gibson both, you know, like deserve big nods. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I mean they're obviously from, giants. I don't mean to take away from them in that. It, it's just that there are elements of their work that are, in some respects, to me, more difficult to approach than the pulp-connected style that Williams brought to life. It, it had both elements, almost that that sense of classic uh, Robert E. Howard esque. Play by play, or Hemingway's the punchy, yeah. you know, the the, the hard nosed, get it done, no matter the cost, uh, white knuckled, almost adrenaline fueled prose. That was in several of the characters there. That was cowboy. Well, also Monica, the uh, the uh, lady with the snake. Oh, the uh, yeah the the solo. Basically, yeah. the solo class character who is you know, like bodyguard, sometimes assassin, you know, information retrieval expert, but uh, with the cybernetic snake lodged in her trachea that, you know, if she gets in a, either she can be in a fight and this thing pops out by surprise at a weak point that somebody's not expecting. Hey, you thought it was a fist fight until this thing goes for your eye. Uh, just, whoosh, yeah. uh, or she kisses you. Which, or the other. worst of all circumstances, uh, it, like, you know, goes down your throat, punches through your heart, and you die and from a kiss. Horribly. With nobody the wiser as you slump over because she's busy keeping you from screaming. And then she just gets up to powder her nose and she's gone. All that's left is a corpse in a booth. A bloody one, too. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we could do a whole thing on oh, yeah. hardwired. We can wired, do hardwired all day, man. That but is... that was plugging technology into your skull. And that's the unique thing about cyberpunk is using a computer required you to have a socket and you plugged it in to your council and then you were on the information highway filled with black ice and all these dangers and going on the information highway was dangerous because corporations and governments were guarding their secrets with software that can kill you you think you know your computer now gets infested with malware is bad well boy i got something to tell you about cyberpunk yeah welcome to the land of black ice yep. uh, and oh. i don't mean you're old school dnd huh. so to help with the uh, define the characters, they gave some classes with each one of its unique abilities. The rocker boys, which were charismatic musicians, but also could be potentially uh, leaders. Uh, bodyguards and assassins, which we call solos. And of course, the computer hacker, the net runners, nomads, road warriors, and high-end gangers. And street experts, the fixers. One of my favorite classes out of that. Yeah, the, the tech guy that Basically, you know, uh, with the connections to get you the parts and tools that you need. Or all the shady contacts that you would ever want to know. Want yeah. to get, score some Novacoke in the middle of the night? 
yeah, he's your guy. You want to find a cache of illegal Russian weapons for a quick hit? Also, your guy. your guy. Or gal. And also, medias, investigative journalists and reporters. Hello, Max Headroom. <laughs> and, of course, the mechanics, the techs and techies, docs, the uh, med techs, and, of course, we mentioned the corporate executives, the corpse, the suits, and, finally, the law enforcement side, the cops. Oh. Which oh, are not man. always your enemies, but not always. They're sworn <laughs> to a particular duty. But anyway, well, you got to remember it's a bit like a RoboCop at this point. Yeah, their, it is. Their first loyalty is not to the law. Um, their first loyalty is to their paycheck. That uh, they are now, you know, wholly owned subsidiary of Laco Incorporated. Now, <laughs> it was a level based system, but uh, the class abilities were unique to each of the classes. But more or less, there was also a list of skills that you were just better at. You got bonuses for that as well. But it's pretty easy. It's basically an attribute system, 1 to 10, plus a skill rating, 1 to 10, plus a die 10 roll. And with 30 being probably the hardest number that you can uh, hope to beat in the game. Hopefully. I'm not saying that uh, there isn't a 40 lurking out there, but uh, yeah, you aren't going to get it. <laughs> they gave you a luck attribute as well, so that you could occasionally get your bacon saved. But uh, it was only usable so many times per adventure. And, and rightly so. so. I mean, it should it not be a full-blown bailout 24-7, but uh, they did provide a substantive means by which people could pull their fat out of the fire a few times. I appreciated that. Yeah, and it used a combat system, which they called the Friday Night Firefight, which is, you <laughs> know, versus the uh, Saturday Slugfest and the Sunday Slaughter and the Monday Night Massacre and the Tuesday Night Tussle. But Wednesday was wash day. That's where all the uh, edge runners and cyberpunks, you know, just took a day off and they... Got all the blood stains and grit out of their clothes. And then <laughs> they went back at it with Thursday night throwdown and then back to Friday night firefight. Oh, man. Thank you, Seth Skorkowski. I like that part. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, it sounds like the internet back in the 90s. Yeah, you took one day out and then that was just the day you did your laundry. So there was it was just basically a uh, you know, prearranged ceasefire. But yeah, combat is deadly in Cyberpunk, and we're just not even kidding. I mean, we say that about a lot of games, but when oh. I'm saying the body count in Cyberpunk is deadly, man, headshots, all damage doubled. And when you've got very heavy handguns doing four die to five die six, and you shoot somebody in the head for 18 points of damage, and they only have nine hit points in their head, yeah, kiss your character goodbye. There are no resurrections in this game. Now, the best you could hope for is... A med tech to come by and save you, or you had a uh, high-level trauma team pass, and they would come and bail your fat out of the fire and get you to a hospital, <laughs> medevac, <laughs> and or a cloning vat. No, I'm kidding. It, it didn't, that was not a facet of, of cyberpunk, but uh, yeah, the the likelihood of fatalities was fairly high. The a typical cyberpunk player then would have a small stable of characters. Uh, hopefully one or two that had survived a number of runs and had been fairly successful and had some good gear and funding. Uh, but you always kept a couple of backups because you knew that, well, this could turn out poorly. Uh, and right. I am not going to just sit here for the next four hours doing nothing. So you, 
you had your extra characters. Yeah, characters were quick to uh, re-roll up, and uh, you had the unique feature of the life path, which was very fun. That it told the story of your character before they became a edge runner, as it came to be known. And uh, you would roll on that, and it would give you various enemies and allies that would help your character out, potentially. Or other events that harmed or changed your character and shaped their future to the experience that they're currently at now. Sometimes it could be as innocuous as, okay, you gain a cyber limb, you suffered a horrific event. Now, if you're a solo and you obviously joined the military at an early age, having a cyber arm for free sounds like a great deal. Oh, sure. But if you're a rocker boy like Johnny Silverhand who lost his arm... In a terrifying guitar accident. No, he joined the military too, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it does... It, Gave him the moniker Silverhand. But nonetheless, um, it was pretty successful. And then in 90s, uh, they came out with Cyberpunk 2020, which I think was the best version of the game up until now, maybe. And uh, they really expanded net running, and they also retconned the timeline, which again is par, par for course for Cyberpunk. Yeah, uh, the, the one problem to frequently plague the Cyberpunk genre, uh, that as it is published... Uh, by its original creators, has been the proximity of the future timeline to the present timeline. So uh, instead of doing the distant reach for long-distance science fiction, they went for near-future dystopia. And the hazard of that, uh, it's just a natural hazard of that policy that you may... All right, we're back. Sorry about that. Just a little... Mid interrupt us, but we were talking about the nature of writing for a near future dystopian. That's the future is not certain, and yeah, it, it's a super hazard. It's the elephant in the room for every game of this type that attempts a near future dystopia. You are going to be hit or miss. People will razz you if you miss anything. Uh, like, well, you didn't predict this. Look, uh, Jules Verne got a hundred things wrong, but we. Remember a century later those remarkable things that he got right. That I mean, that he got anything right at all was a tribute. You know, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, so, in the case of cyberpunk, uh, I forbear. I do not issue a bunch of criticism about what they got right or got wrong. Uh, nor do I, you know, poke a lot of fun at Traveler. Uh, except for periodic deaths in character creation. Well, um, hey, you know, no, we've we've covered that. Yeah, before. I know. Poor traveler. I will poke fun at them lovingly for that because I think it was a it was a great facet of early gameplay. But in both cases, uh, with regard to science fiction games, uh, in some cases, our technology today has already outpaced what was written at the time. Now, in other cases, we have a barely accomplished anything even remotely resembling some of the, the futuristic accomplishments, which I, I respect the way that uh, Cyberpunk, in this newest edition, has dealt with that. They, yeah. have, they have handily found a way to move, and I'd like you to explain oh, okay. that first. Oh, okay, yeah. It, so they had a couple other versions where not, they're not uh, really overly talked about because they weren't played. They had a third edition called uh, Cyberpunk v 3.0, which was more transhuman, which was more about a genetic tailoring and rather than sticking metal into your body. 
But with the new version that just came out, which was made to coincide with the release of Cyberpunk 2077, is called Cyberpunk Red. And they took all the timelines and they basically said, okay, after this point, we're no longer paying attention to our timeline. They went with their own, they've changed things, and they've set themselves singularly apart from that because MTV in theirs... I, I, I want to explain something uh, oh, okay. by timeline. Uh, what we mean is uh, they have divorced themselves from traditional, this is Earth and this is Earth. Yeah, 1990, this happened in this 1995. Century. Yeah, they've just said, no, no, we're going to have our own alternate reality, a alternate universe in which these events transpire as we have decided them. But it is not based on, you know, the progression of Earth, and we do not wish to be compared to the progression of Earth. Imagine an Earth, uh, you know, <laughs> in their dystopia, but uh, they've they've got fantastic technologies that we do not, in some cases, and in other cases, technologies that we have long since surpassed. So they can have that dichotomy safely now that they have said, okay, goodbye to the regular universe of Earth. Yeah, trying to keep up with the tumult of our current timelines in the 2020. So they divorced themselves from that and moved on a separate timeline that basically said in the 90s, MTV never quit playing music videos. And so they have flying cars. Um, <laughs> but a lot of their technology... They got all the cool stuff that we should have got. Yeah, lesson to be learned here. And instead of like, you know shared house crap and you know uh, what do uh drunk italian kids do at the beach or the gym this week or you know it, uh, Oy. you know i man uh if only we had kept society on track uh, i might have my jetpack by now but you no no thanks no, a lot no. mtv so much potential all wasted yeah obviously they have a lot more cyberware prosthetics and things like that are starting to come around in the real world we're getting there not the selective like hey i just go to a body shop clinic like you could in cyberpunk and you know get a new uh pair of prosthesis for no reason yeah look you have a perfectly good pair of links yeah but they're not cyber links yeah and, of course, the various hardwired uh, stuff. Uh, what was it? Uh, Klishnikov and Sandivistian wired reflexes. I loved Walter John Williams' yeah. uh, view of that. The one, you had to have an inhaler, and it would hit you in a few minutes or a few seconds, so you had to be prepped for it. And the other one, Klishnikov, was like everything is constantly slowed down. So, yeah, you're kind of really creepy. Yeah, you're you're out of sync with everybody else's sense of time because you are that amped. <laughs> yeah, everybody thinks you're moving fine, but to you, everybody's moving real slow, and it takes a while to get used to. Yeah, so you have this awkward period while you adjust, but once you're totally on board with it, you know, like your Mister Super reflexes, pow, you know, just uh, that that fly that I just you know flicked out of the air at a moment's notice without even. You know, with just a peripheral glance. Yeah, uh, to me it was like it was just crawling through mud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the interesting world of Walter John Williams. You know, there were little side explanations of the way in which uh, 
these things impacted daily life, not just their benefits, but also their downsides. He, he had nice touches there, like uh, the, the throat snake assassin weapon thing. Yeah, asked uh, about that. He said, did it, what, where did you come up with the idea from that? What bizarre form of... What hellscape spawned that yeah, notion? What bizarre form of drunken stupor did that crawl out of? He's like, so I had a cold, really bad flu, and... Uh, <laughs> It was a nightmare I had. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I could definitely see that, because, wow. But, um... No, no, uh, totally understandable. Well, and that and, uh, you know, in his dystopia, of course, uh, you know, the very best of everything was available to the wealthiest and the most powerful, uh, while in the world of the shadow runners or cyberpunks, so to speak, uh, they may do with, uh, you know, the burdensome expense of trying to upgrade themselves to fight for a better and better opportunity, you know, like that big score. Uh, so for them, for the little folks, it was an endless chase, and it was extremely dangerous and could end badly most of the time. Yeah, and you see it reflected um, a lot of the things that influence people. Now, Mike Pondsmith claimed that he didn't read Neuromancer until after he published the game. And, you know, okay, fine. Um... I think it might have improved, uh, you know, some of his view of uh, computer usage. Yeah, Case, if you've read The Neuromancer, is an interesting character. The speed junkie who is addicted to drugs because he can no longer get into cyberspace. He was uh, he had his burn notice because he fought against his CIA handlers and did a no-no, which was <laughs> sell pedal information gained from corporate enclaves to the highest bidder. In a back door, and uh, since the government didn't like people doing that, they made it so he could never hack again. Burned out his nervous system, so he stands. He starts the uh, novel addicted to uh, math, basically. Oh uh, yeah, or something very like it. Uh, yeah, it was it very very trying uh, to dim the pain of the thing he perpetually wants to get back to. So in that, it's very postmodern, where uh, cyberpunk correctly talked about drugs and they said hey we're not going to give you a lecture here we're going to tell you that all drugs have side effects and use them with the greatest of caution but uh, they were criticized heavily for yeah having stats for nova coke and uh, uh what is it called yeah crystal ice which was the our blue crystal which was methamphetamines uh, speed and other types of Current drugs, and so in 2020, they did change it a little bit, starting to call it New Coke or Nova Coke, <laughs> with the New Coke, you know, the hint, hint, <laughs> yeah. nudge, nudge. Yeah, 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 little, little poke. Uh, but the point being that despite other people's complaints, uh, the truth is that cyberpunk has a tradition of characterizing drug addiction as incredibly risky. Uh, and, you know, any... Frequent usage comes with, you know, very swift repercussions in play for the, the characters. Yeah, initially so, there's not much downside oh yeah. to it. Once, twice, yeah, not a, not such a big deal. But a great deal like regular life. Like if, if you're going to be hitting this every time you guys go to the streets, uh, you're going to have problems shortly. And this so is going to bite the big, you in the ass. The big things that people said initially about it was, was hyper-violent. Oh, yeah. And glorified drug use. And I'm like, well, um, did you read The Neuromancer? That wasn't exactly a glorification of drugs. No, no. Uh, and 
All right, I'm going to go off topic here for a moment. Go ahead. I, I want a perfect example that I, I want to mention of that. There's a song called The Beast. Yep. I believe it was by The Only Ones. Uh, and, you know, at the beginning of the song, uh, the singer explains, you know, a lot of people have claimed that this is some kind of pro-drug song. Uh, no, this is a very anti-drug song. Uh, it is, you know, you will never hear a more anti-drug song than The Beast. And... <laughs> uh, the mere fact that when it's mentioned, some people's first gut reaction is, well, if you mention it at all, you must approve of it. No, no, no. The Beast, as a song, could only have been written by somebody who had lost friends to something that they had come to, you know, see as a hated enemy, you know, like a predator in the night. Uh, you know, lurking around the edge of the fire, looking for stragglers. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that's how the song had the title, The Beast. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, that's a perfect example of people's complaints of cyberpunk. They gave a very realistic and gritty uh, element that displayed drug use as a thing that it happens, but it comes with some very obvious and very legitimate dangers. And that matter-of-factness, I think it, you know, it obviously resonated with people. I, I don't know of a single case where somebody said, I read inside of a fact that they do new coke, so I went out and bought some coke. I'd never heard of such a thing occurring. <laughs> uh, I have, however, uh, you know, read that the, the numbers of people who went through the D.A.R.E., uh, program and then wound up doing a, way more drugs than they would otherwise normally have done uh, compared to the control group that received no education whatsoever uh, versus the the uh, fully immersive D.A.R.E. experience to keep kids off drugs. Uh, the D.A.R.E. experiment resulted in more kids doing drugs uh, because being lied to in an incredibly hokey fashion, uh, you know, being condescended to and patronized and treated like an adorable moron, apparently didn't sit well with people. And once that you break through and go, oh, wow, they lied about one thing, they must have lied about everything. Whoa, then the mistakes start piling up. And the people who had no influence from that whatsoever, who just like the, you know, control group of like no organized effort to keep them off drugs, actually had a much lower rate where they just went, well, it doesn't sound like a good idea to me. Yeah, and so there were several yeah. there were several combat drugs that your characters were, especially Basola, were expected to take. True, and uh, one of them called Zombie, which was the worst of them, which basically made you impervious to pain. You no longer suffered pain modifiers, and you doubled or half again your hit point locations because physical damage no longer registered on the neurological and physiological <laughs> level. You just didn't care. Ah, uh, but you better not be on that every firefight. Oh, boy. But it, every time there was a uh, body test to see how your body fared under it. And even if you didn't get hurt, yeah, the neurological damage and uh, psychological addiction effects were high. And oh. so if there was a way to kind of point, like, don't do drugs, kids, this was the game to do it. I. And we bring yeah. it up because it's a mature game. And a lot of people now, say... It never well, posed as like, this is not Candyland with, you know, uh, 
cyberdex, okay? That it was never that, and it never pretended to be that. It was always like, yeah, boom, this one gets an R rating. Probably should be, you know, at least late teens or older for this. Yep, and you know, you go up against cops, lawmen, you know, all the time in this game. They're the peacekeepers, and so they're the ones going to get called in when you raid the corporate office or something goes south in the combat zone. Oh, wait, cops don't come to the combat zone. No, no. Yeah, and it's also the perennial game. If you don't like politics, then this is not the game for you. There's yeah, a I... lot of politics in this game that's subversive, and they did not shy away from it. Now, some people say, well, they didn't ram it down your throat. No, they absolutely... Look, I mean, if... <laughs> the haves and the have-nots right here. The people living in the glass towers and oh, corporate yeah. enclaves live peaceful, idyllic lives, perfectly protected by their security forces. Like, and just these... Towering oases of clean, beautiful civilization at its highest point. Uh, just a wonderland of both uh, the imagination and the flesh. It just, uh, all the best. And then, in a perfect opposite, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of people... Do not live in that world. Yeah. Uh, in an, <laughs> they live in a dumpster fire filled with hobo crap. In their dark dystopian... And they're fighting over the crap. In that dark dystopian timeline that we discussed earlier, that they, they kind of diverged from, most of the agrarian land in the United States is bought up by Biotechnica, who run these agricorps. And you would think, well, hey, there's a lot of food being produced there. Nope. All fossil fuels are gone. So the only fossil fuel is... Uh, ethanol-based, genetically modified plant, a wheat strain, that they grow and then ferment and turn into what is called chobu. And food is a secondary thought. Screw your food. Oh, yeah, we got to keep our, our like power running. You know, just, yeah, forget that. So most of the citizens eat kibble. <laughs> yeah, a soy-based product that's, you know, you talk about your soy like green, you might want to sometimes... Mm. Ah, kibbles and bits. Exactly. Yeah, so, and that the chop shops, you know, the, where you can turn the dead bodies in for money yeah. to salvage the cyborg. There's a lot of dark aspects, and they don't shy away from it. But again, just like with the... It was meant to be dystopian, and I, I feel like a lot of people did not quite grasp what dystopian meant. You're like, <laughs> oh, that's horrible. How could it be that... What part of dystopian did you not get when we said it? Um, dark, that was coming. Okay, there was no way out of that. You, that was the deal breaker. Like, if you're not ready for dark, then do not go dystopian. This is not the game for you. <laughs> yep, and climate change was in full effect, where most of the world's oceans were polluted morasses on the coastlands, and oh, you didn't want to be anywhere near them. No. <clears throat> And a lot of toxic waste around the outskirts of the city, which caused not fun mutations like X-Men. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you will wish that you were as well put together as the five-assed monkey in South Park. Yeah. Okay. At last, I've created the five-assed monkey. Well. <laughs> oh, no. Cyberpunk will not treat you that well. So he would say, well, what's the point then if it's so dark? Well, that's the point is that there you use technology. Well, I mean, you know, how much sugar and cream do you need in your coffee? I mean, it, at some point it's just like chocolate milk, you punk. Right. And so your characters are 
edge runners trying to fight their way into these enclaves. So what if you're playing a corporate? Well, sometimes the worst heights, the worst that can happen to someone in cyberpunk is falling from the greatest of heights. Oh, falling, yeah. Falling out of those corporate enclaves for whatever reason, betrayal, backstabbery, or just burning your assets in a bid to win it all for yourself doesn't always end well. Yeah, it's a burn notice moment, which, uh, you know, terrific uh, right. opportunity to reference that show where a spy gets his burn notice and he's no longer employable in the conventional sense and then has to scramble there on the fringe of society trying to make a way for his talents to make him a living. Uh, yeah, you know, that that is possibly the most terrible fate that a high roller in the world of cyberpunk uh, could suffer. Uh, to suddenly be cast down from on high, like, I used to eat pate! <laughs> well, now you're eating kibble in a cube hab, barely 12 feet by 15 feet. Yeah, uh, the rest of us grew With up water in rationing. Yeah, uh, the rest of us grew up in this. <laughs> you didn't even know this existed, nor did you care. <laughs> so while cyberpunk is a sometimes disturbing look into our own reality, there's a lot of things that made it a fun game to play for the instance that, well, the violence is off the charts. I mean, literally, there is a nightly body lottery that the police and med techs round up all the bodies found, and then whoever is the closest to it wins that night's body count. Yeah, actually, uh, Walter John Williams had that, yep. too. Uh, yeah, like that was uh, included in Hardwired, was the the lottery, over the death lottery, uh, as the yeah. nightly tallies came in, and then they figured out who the winners were. Uh. <laughs> uh, somebody bet on lucky. 243. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was a late night. Oh. Oh. But in that, you would create stories with the Game Master uh, doing these hard, scrambled, almost noir-esque in, uh, intrigue, sometimes hyper-violence, uh, assassination, counter-espionage, corporate espionage, as well as just crime and grift. It was all open to you. Um, sometimes it could be blackmailing a corporate board member right before a powerful executive meeting where sh between shareholders. Sometimes it could be bodyguarding the corporate while that was going on. So most scenarios had a lot of the adventure generation ideas and seeds that they put in the game gave you both, you could play as one going to infiltrate a corporate party to gain blackmail on a, an opponent of your main hirer employer, which in Shadowrun became the ubiquitous Mr. And Johnson. You could be employed by just about anybody. I mean, it, yeah, it governments, could be as law simple as like you know two rival criminal organizations, and one just pays you saying, "Look, make sure this deal doesn't go down. I don't want them getting a hold of that shipment of weapons um, because it alters the balance of power. I like things just the way they are, and I'm prepared to pay to keep them that way." And at it. Could be crime versus crime, spy versus spy, uh, assassins, counter-assassins as bodyguards, anything. Uh, the sky was the limit as far as, which, you know, boy, oh boy, uh, try to pit your players against something like Day of the Jackal, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> a methodical, right. implacable, unstoppable machine uh, who only moves he towards sleep. his kill. He doesn't eat. 
he just lives to kill. And yeah, the Terminator. So, but I think just like with uh, Into That, people seem to be confused about what the gist of cyberpunk is. Well, okay, I'm going to open my kimono for a change and say that what I thought cyberpunk was best played. Little kimono breeze noise. Yeah. Oh, Kimono flutters. I didn't know you were like, you know. So my it's never happened before. It's never been off. Yeah. I thought he had his super glued on. Look, I just don't let mine open at a whim, okay? There. <laughs> mine has I just don't open it at a lark. I do what I do. But Well then you have the dignity not to run around doing jumping jacks while it's open, so Sure. I, I don't have that kind of dignity. <laughs> Where I think it's best played out and expressed, just like with yeah. uh Traveler. Uh, having the merchant campaign or a scout, I think that the characters from disparate backgrounds trying to come in and make a better place for themselves in the world. And whether it's using fixers and corporates to gain those accesses, access to resources to keep things moving forward with the techies and uh, med techs, docs keeping everybody healthy and well supplied and the solos and nomads beating up everybody who crosses you. Like taking over an apartment complex and renovating it so that you have a safe place to stay every night rather than having to fight over the coffin hotel when it's full. Ugh. And moving forward into other <laughs> aspects of... <laughs> Give me the RPG. I'm about to make a couple of vacancies. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> Eviction notice. <laughs> but building... Uh, a community in cyberpunk was what I found the most, the most rewarding. And that's very optimistic. And not a lot of people, I think, did that because it was easier to sink into the ultraviolence the, from Clockwork Orange. A little bit of the old ultraviolence. <laughs> oh, and the seedy lifestyles rather than try to eke out a living and make a better community. Now, it's hard, but there's the challenge. And I think that's what gives it some... Forward motion. You see that in it provides the impetus for that your characters have a community and a sense of belonging in a, a world that tries very desperately to keep people divided and disengaged from one another. Ah, so well, you've got a more hopeful view than I do. I, I liked it because it was chaotic and brutal and uh, undependable. It was difficult to pin down. Everything was nebulous. Everything was a giant gray area. But survival was at the top of your list. Uh, and you formed loose alliances where you started to acknowledge the usefulness of having other people around you. You know, that. Right. It, and it, that's where, that, whether you view it, you from, know, one of each of these classes will be required if you wish to be successful in the course of the this uh, Exactly. Uh, and that sensibility flourished as much in cyberpunk as it did in D&D. And that's where I think that the way I prefer to play it. Now, you may poo-poo me for my optimism, but I think that we're on the same page here. Oh, it's just there's sure. two different ways. If you really want to look at it, yes, you can engage with that nebulosity, and that's the challenge that the Game Master continually throws. You, know, you have a uh, small apartment complex or bar that you own, and... That's your hangout, and that's what you do, and some gangers come by, some booster gangers try to hold it up or burn it down. Yeah, instant firefight. You don't need to wander and encounter anybody. 
Oh yeah, that, there's it's cyberpunk. Anything you have, somebody else wants to take. You know, you don't even have to make excuses for it at that point. That's just the way of the world. But also, the alternate reality of the net, as they call it, is much different than the internet we know. And they have really, with Cyberpunk Red, went back to that because the collapse of the internet has happened. And there's only small little enclaves that are heavily fortified and defended by ICE, intrusion countermeasure software. Yeah, it's back to that old vision where, you know, universities uh, in the old days were the uh, universities and government facilities were the, the epicenter of Internet activity at the dawn of the Internet. Uh, and in, you know, cyberpunk, they, they had something not unlike that, you know. Uh, however, uh, a little more imaginative, not quite the sterilized things that we had imagined today. Or, or that we morphed into today. Uh, you know, more like raw information and processing capacity just sitting there in these little islands, heavily protected and defended, not genuinely accessible to just everyone. Uh, still very much the world of the uh, freakers and hackers of yesteryear. Uh, yeah, and it's definitely um, in the 50 most popular role-playing games of all time because it's ranked number 10. Ah, it deservedly. It's, it's right up there. Um, although, personally, I like Shadowrun a little bit better. Uh, Cyberpunk has a dark place in my heart because of its grittiness and its need to wear mirror shades to glare at the future because <laughs> it is dark and there is a lot of potentiality for it to go wrong at any moment in time. Betrayal... Paranoia and suspicion should be the watchwords because there's, as Mike said, there's always somebody, if you have something worth keeping, somebody's going to try to take it away from you at certain points in time. Yep. Yeah, that's a nice looking gun you got there. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use it too. And, uh, you know, <laughs> um, And, you know, you come into clash with law enforcement and corporate enclaves as well as has all the flash and bang I of the media pop stars. I mean, wow. Even your allies can swiftly be your enemies. You know, the, the, the ally of one adventure can transform into the foe of another. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's any which way the wind blows. Uh, depending on the moment, you could find yourself, uh, you know, with strange bedfellows, as in war. Uh, you know, just, hey, weren't we trying to kill each other last week? Yeah, but you know how things are. Yeah, I do, as a matter of fact. That's right, and you could find that. So, if you get a chance, and I recommend you should, there's a nice sale on Humble Bundle that lets you get all the previous editions of Cyberpunk for a pretty nice penny. And uh, it's not much, about 15, 20 bucks, and that's you the whole collection. Yeah! And you can get the jumpstart rules for the Cyberpunk Red, which is just uh, now coming available. And uh, I would definitely give... Anybody interested in dystopian or science fiction or near-future role-playing games, give it a look. It is definitely worth your while, whether you are, a, like me, a Shadowrun veteran or just an old edge runner looking for a new spin on an old game. It is well worth playing. Oh, yeah. Not sorry they did this. No. It, it, a lot of long time spans between editions. 
uh, I feel it's totally merited, totally called for. Okay, they're not beating the, they're not being addition hogs, like, you know, version 1, version 1.2, version 1.4, you know, just like every couple of years cranking them out. No. A lot of us have waited a very long time to see if something like this would ever happen again, and thank goodness it has. Yeah, a lot of people have been playing Cyberpunk 2020 uh, for quite a while without any rain or lead on them. They just yeah. let it go, and they make up their own rules for new stuff. They see fit, so there's a brand new interest in it with the video game release, and now there's a brand new addition for it. Yeah, so. we're not going to pick on the video game thing. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, 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 I haven't played it yet, and yeah. I probably at some I point no will give idea. it a shot, but uh, it is what it is. We're, yeah, we're just talking about the game, then versus now. So, we hope you enjoyed our little rant. It was a little hard scrabble because, yeah, cyberpunk is a very tricky genre to talk about. And in this oh, case, even with the game system, on. there's not a whole lot that you can say about it. It's easy to play, and it's fast and fun. But within that, there's a great deal of complexity contained in the setting. And that's what, for me, makes Cyberpunk so much fun. Oh, absolutely. All right. Questionably. So we rounded that corner, and so now it's time for us to wrap it up. We, of course, appreciate you listening in. And if you liked what you heard, or if you didn't, you can, of course, get a hold of us on our Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming, or leave us a download the Anchor app and uh, record a voice message, and we'll put you on the show. As well, I don't know if we call this a show, whatever. Uh, hey, call uh, the iPod's been gone for how many years now, this... and we're still calling them podcasts, so... Yeah, I know, yeah, the, the iPod, I'd forgotten about that, uh, the origin of the term podcast. Ah, uh, yeah, well, some things, you know, terms get coined and then they stick. Exactly. So, if Cyberpunk taught us one thing, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So... <laughs> Nonetheless, if you have any questions, of course, you can also uh, get a hold of us on Twitter. And uh, one of us will probably respond to you. Me at Death Hand Gaming. Myself at Magi Box. And that'll do it for us. So we'll see you next week. So until that time, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.